We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on everyday major sports, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I mean, a little bit of both. You know, it makes it feel feel a lot better um, going through what we went through. And, you know, I did a lot more years at the bottom than he did. So we, we turned around quick for, for DA. Um, but, yeah, man, you, you can't take this for granted. We always say, you know, on this streak, especially when you say, you know, we got 12 straight. It's hard to get one in this league. You know, we emphasize that a lot. You know, it's the best of the best. It's just the NBA. You know, so you can't ever take any opponent or any win for granted. Welcome to the Timeline Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, 13 games in a row. The Phoenix Suns are on their longest win streak, win streak since 2006-2007. How are you feeling? The streak continues, baby. Uh, I was a little bit worried uh, <laughs> at certain points tonight. I'm not going to lie. They, yeah. they, they, they definitely made the fans sweat for it a little bit there at the end. Um, there was after the... Like at the very end of the game, after Chris Paul had a turnover and then book when they forced the jump ball and it became a one possession game yeah. just for like two seconds, I was like, oh shit, here we go. Because that's, that's kind of my biggest fear at this point. It, it's stupid to say, but like, I just don't want to lose. Uh, you know, eventually the Suns are going to lose right. a game. We don't know when it's going to be. Eventually yeah. they'll lose a game. Uh, I, although as much as I would love to go 79 and three, I suspect that eventually <laughs> it'll happen. I just don't want to do it in like comically terrible fashion. So we'll right. see. I guess there's no good way to lose a game. But the point is they were able to pull it out tonight. Um, I thought also, you know, we recorded recently. It hasn't it's only been a few days, not a full week. Yeah. But three games have happened in the last uh four nights. They pulled mm-hmm. out all three games. And I think we saw a bunch of patterns, uh, like even some contrasting stuff compared to yeah. what we were just talking about a few days ago. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
Uh, yeah, for those of you who haven't heard it, I know it was a late episode last week. I highly recommend going back and listening to that one because we looked at some uh, stats for the entire season so far that gave a good picture, I think, of what we were looking at from the Suns in the first 13, 14 games. And then now, of course, three more games, and, and we're already seeing some changes, um, first of all. And, and and for those, if you're confused, we're recording this immediately after the Spurs game. So that's what we just saw. And I think, Sam, you're right, because like going into this game, it's like, of course, the Suns should beat the Spurs. But there's like that nagging Greg Popovich feeling that Suns fans still still have that's hard to get rid of. So it was, I was a little worried too. And they, pull, they pulled it out. And they played really well. A weird box score. I'm going to just point this out right from the top. And then we'll get into some of the trends. But leading the Suns in assists tonight, do you know who it was? Uh, well, I happen to be looking at the box score. So. Landry Shamit. <laughs> yeah. How weird is that? No. None, of, none of the starters had more than five assists in this game, uh, which is very odd. And uh, and it it turns out that Shamit, who who I didn't even really notice his playmaking in this game, ended the the game with five assists, which is the most on the Suns. I didn't really notice his playmaking either in this game. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Um, I think the Suns were a bit uncharacteristically sloppy with the ball in this one. Fifteen turnovers mm-hmm. is not typical Suns basketball for what we're used to at this point. But you still see in the box score, uh, twenty five assists. This team could sleepwalk to twenty five assists at this point, and it's it's really not something that's all too difficult for them to do. And you don't even need to yeah. get Chris Paul's regular level of production to get there. You get a, f- a few assists here from Devin Booker, obviously, but then also Landry Shamit, campaign, Mikhail Bridges, even DeAndre Ayton tonight, and it adds up eventually. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that was strong for sure. Yeah, it's a fascinating team in this thirteen game win streak because. Obviously, they're a great team, but it's not like they're not playing in a way that like one guy is just elevating well, them above the rest. It's not Devin Booker averaging 35 points a game for the stretch of 10 games or something like you that. You know, it's funny because I don't know. This was my take in the first half of this game on Twitter. And now after the second half of this game, you ended this game, you gave up 111 points. So I'm not sure if it necessarily holds anymore. But at least for the first half of this game, right, there was there was one point the Spurs were on pace for like 85 points in this game, like at some point in the second quarter. And the defense just looked really, really strong. And yeah. even in the second half, I think part of where the defense fell apart was coinciding with that being sloppy with the basketball that I was talking about. It was a transition defense problem. It wasn't necessarily a half-court defense problem. They did have some issues stopping Devin Vassell, Jante Murray um, as we went on in the game. Penetration in general. Penetration in general. But what I'm going to say, like the Suns scored 115 points tonight. And this is something that has not changed since we recorded last week, which is that that offense, another thing we saw from them in the past few games, a 48-point quarter, Mike. We saw a 48-point quarter <laughs> yeah. from the Suns. But it's Wild. this offense, like, it's good. It's not that good. It's mm-hmm. like, You know what I mean? Like, And that's not, that's not an insult to this team. They've won 13 nope. in a row. But they've won 13 in a row on the backs of a top-five defense in the NBA, a top-three defense in the NBA. Yeah. And even though they ended yeah. giving up 111 points to the Spurs tonight, I really think that's been the main story here. Their offense... You know, as we come up on these games, I think next week we're going to preview the games against the Warriors because they'll have two games against the Warriors in the next week. I hope they win the next few so that we can have just a totally awesome matchup going into that with, like, riding a 16 or 17 game streak at this point or or at that point. Yeah. But the Suns offense, like, 
they continue to give chances to teams they should not give chances to. And then it all works itself out in the end because we know this is an incredibly clutch team in the fourth quarter behind Booker and Paul. They pick their spots really well. They kind of kill you. It's death by a thousand cuts. But they don't have that intimidation factor of, say, a Curry Warriors team where it's like, oh, Booker has 40 points and it's the third quarter and the Suns are up by 50 already and there's just mm-hmm. there's there's that that feeling of helplessness, like there's nothing you can do. Their offense is good. It's clicking for sure. And there's one guy in particular I think we really need to talk about on offense because mm-hmm. he's figuring things out. So I want to talk about him after this. But yeah. their offense still feels like it's only running at 80, 85%. Yeah, their, defense is, their defense is really carrying them throughout the streak. And I even think the defense is still not quite there yet. It just doesn't feel just right yet. And I think it'll still get better throughout the season. And look, 13 games in a row. Obviously, they're playing very well. 48-point first quarter. By the way, they only made two more threes the rest of that game. They're 8 for 10 from 3 in that game and then made two more in the second, third, and fourth quarter combined against the Nuggets. And, and you know, that's just not clicking exactly right. And shots are shots. Like, it's, it's one thing to to make shots, whatever. Like sometimes they fall, sometimes they don't over the course of a regular season. It's difficult to measure a team's success on that alone. What you're looking at really is the quality of shots that the Suns are taking. And right now I'd say they're taking really, really good shots. We'll transition to what you want to talk about, but I want to just bring up something just to remind you and just to remind people listening to this podcast, what happened in this last off season, the Phoenix Suns did not extend DeAndre Ayton they didn't and you know there was a lot of talk as to whether or not that was a good decision or whatever I I have actually found it to be relatively interesting that the tact that some national media members have had in discussing that they've been more open to discussing whether or not it was a good decision and they're not necessarily killing the Suns like I expected but kind of said that kind of hard to kill a team that just keeps winning you know yeah well I mean at the same time it's just like did they make the right choice? They're still winning sure. and they have the guy on the team. So. Sure, sure, sure. But one thing I said to you is what's really, really, really important for this team is that through their coaching and through their management with James Jones, they communicate exactly to DeAndre Ayton what he needs to do this season in order to be what they envision a max center is. Because from, from James Jones's perspective, he said it, in public, he said, I just didn't believe he was a full five-year max player. And to be honest, that's the right thats the right thing to say if you're not going to give him the contract. You have to be honest about it. And you have to approach him and say, I don't believe you are now. I believe you can be. Here's what you need to do in order to do that. So there's small things that DeAndre Ayton needs to do in order to do that. We've talked about it a lot in this podcast, whether or not he can. We believe he can. It's just about whether or not he will. What we've seen in the last few games, to me, has been the most promising stretch of DeAndre Ayton's career with the Suns so far. Regular season. And I believe... I think. Regular right? season, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Even Actually, even beyond that. Because to wow. me, it's not necessarily... Look, it's not necessarily about the production, right? It's about the yeah. skills. It's about what he can do, not what he did do. If he can do some of the things that he's showing us, that makes a massive difference towards the future. It's more promising. I, under, I think a lot I, can be said I understand about, what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. The uh, yeah. what I'll just say is him like showing up in the playoffs and doing that, doing what he did there on that stage 
was the most surprising. Like that was the biggest statement he could have made and is more of a statement than what he's doing now. But to your point, and and I think what you're trying to get to, so I'll shut up in a second, like the the things that he's showing us, what he's on the cusp of developing, Mm -hmm. that's more interesting, right? Right. And, And what we're talking about is what we've seen in these last few games is an intent to roll on pick and rolls and roll hard which is very important to this team, whether or not he catches the ball. But also, on the last episode, I talked extensively about the Suns just not trusting him with the ball in some scenarios, and rightfully so. But like, if you believe that DeAndre can be a max player in the future, you have to give him the ball within the Suns' offense in some scenarios to see if he's capable of doing the things that you believe a max player can do in those scenarios. And they started to give him the ball in the short roll. And he's done, uh, he's attacked the basket. He's found shooters. Uh, he's drawn fouls in that scenario. He's making smart decisions. The, the floater still doesn't quite look right, as you talked about, not quite leading to free throws. But like, there's more than one thing that he's doing in that scenario, which is huge. Uh, we saw him catch the ball in the post and fake right and then turn over his left shoulder and get fouled immediately, something that he almost never has done. And then in this last game against the Spurs, he caught it in the short roll on the move, pass faked to the corner, and then dunked, and he caught it a good 17, 18 feet away from the basket Mm -hmm. to be able to create space himself with that pass fake and attack the rim hard enough to dunk and not shoot because he could have just caught it and shot that mid-range shot. Absolutely. These are all things that separate what he was last season and what I believe James Jones and Monty Williams believe a max center is in the modern NBA remarkable stuff i'd say and on those plays there were two plays tonight in the short roll where where Aiton attacked off the off the dribble and in both instances there was a tagger sliding over to cover him you know but but in these cases like in the past we would see deandre Aiton, as you say just take that mid-range shot settle you know kind of get intimidated by the six foot four six foot five whatever the fuck it is type of player standing in front of him tonight he just pushed through he pushed through the wall as we all know, he has the body and skills to, to be capable of doing, and he scored or he got to the free throw line. And if he commits to that mindset three or four or five times a game, coupled with his ability to pass the ball and see the court really well in the half court, find those corner shooters and cutters, yeah, it's you're talking about what a max center starts to look like uh, in terms yes. of offensive production yes. we know what what Aiton's defensive production is at this point I think and by the way he was locked in defensively tonight too I I, I thought he had a really good mm-hmm. defensive game but yeah, yeah we're talking about offense and it's 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 a whole really is a whole new level of trust that I I've seen some of the passes from Devin Booker uh especially to Aiton just over the past two games I like I was just my jaw hit the floor just seeing him make that pass I was like they never give him it they never give right. him the ball there. Well, because they he, never he lose it. <laughs> no, like there's there's a reason yeah. for it. But now, yeah. even I, you know, and I forget exactly what the situation was. But late in the game today, there was another situation like that where Booker gave it to Aiden. I forget the outcome of the play. I, I should have paid more attention and rewatched before we hit the mics. But it was one or two minutes left in a very close game, and I was like, I yeah. I can't believe Aiden had 16 shots tonight. I was yeah. I was hoping Booker finished with seventeen. Aiden has mm-hmm. never uh, had a game this season. <laughs> I, I it's probably happened at some point, and I just didn't look it up. 
But at least this season, I know for sure, he has not had a game where he led the Suns in field goal attempts. I was low-key rooting for that to be the case tonight, that he could get one or two more and surpass Booker. Because 16 shot attempts for DeAndre Ayton in 33 minutes. Uh, he was close. Mm-hmm. The, the important point to make for me is that the Suns really changed nothing about their offense. Absolutely nothing. The difference has always been... What can DeAndre Ayton do when he catches the ball 18 feet away from the basket? And coupled with that, because I think this is vital, because the short roll, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, is not the only thing. How much effort does he put off the ball in order to seal properly, to uh, either beat guys down the floor? Those types of things that matter. What they didn't have to do was called 10 different post-ups 10 times in a row because it becomes incredibly predictable and it's difficult to get to the ball in there. They kept the offense the same. They trusted him in space. Were there some flubs? Yes. There's still some, there's a learning curve here. They just haven't given him the ball much. There was a double dribble. You know, there was one seal where he lost the ball out of bounds. (laughs) They ended up calling it off the Spurs anyway, but he didn't quite catch the ball there. Difficult to catch. I'm not going to blame him for that. The floater, like like we talked about, isn't exactly what you would want out of him. I think he can find ways to attack that a little differently. But more than that, I think he it has been a success because just in the Spurs game alone, they stopped trapping. Mm-hmm. Like they stopped forcing the ball out of Chris Paul and Devin Booker's hands. They had to switch to switching. And like that type of thing, if you can force the defense to adjust in the strategy that's designed to give DeAndre Ayton the ball in space... That opens up everything else for everyone else. And I think over time, the rest of the players can get more used to that as well. And it could just turn into really great results. It's it's huge. It's a level of defensive manipulation that all great coaches can only dream of having the personnel to actually make happen. And yeah, it's, you know, you're referencing like that double dribble was really ugly. So, you know, just evidence. It's not like go-to clutch offense for the Suns yet. Go-to clutch yeah. offense for the Suns is still going to be that Chris Paul right elbow jumper. It's going to be those Devin Booker isos, whatnot. But it's one more tool. It's, you know, it's one more tool to put in the belt. And it, it, there will be examples late in games this year if Aiton continues on this trajectory of he can take over a game for one or two or three possessions at a time just doing that in a fourth quarter I, I and I can't wait to see it I mean if you start to combine the skills he already had last year which is just a pick and roll finisher uh, able to catch lobs occasional you know turnaround post up the offensive rebounds with catching the ball in short rolls finding shooters attacking the basket getting fouled sealing I mean these are these are everything that you want in a modern center that's not like Embiid or Jokic, the ability to soak up 30 possessions in a game and and find guys for 10 assists or whatever Jokic can do. Like, very, very, very few players can do that. So what you're talking about is a different kind of player, which DeAndre Ayton just is a different kind of player than those guys. And if you combine all of that together, I mean, the Suns can be... It raises what I believe the ceiling of this team can be dramatically. If we start to see this type of play from DeAndre regularly, and I know I'm being hyperbolic, I'm just, I'm, I can't even describe, I'm incredibly excited by what I've seen from DeAndre Ayton. And yes, it's a bit hyperbolic. And yes, we need to see it in more games to believe that it's real. And against better teams, that's going to matter too. But I don't think it's all that hyperbolic, honestly. Or at the, at the very least, I don't think it's, I, 
I don't think it's unreasonable that it elicits such a strong reaction out of us. When I saw the first one, uh, the first uh, short roll field goal attempt in that Nuggets game, I remember I tweeted, like, this is what I've been waiting for for three plus years. This is what we've been waiting for. We have had a podcast, Mike. We're not rookies anymore. We're veterans in this shit. You could say... And this podcast We've covered every DeAndre Ayton game. <laughs> we have covered every DeAndre Ayton game. This podcast is as old as DeAndre Ayton's career, like literally <laughs> give or take a week. And yeah. since that first summer league, that first season under Igor Kokoshkov, we've been talking about this shit. So, you know, excuse us for being excited about it when we actually see some evidence that things are trending in a positive direction. But this is yeah, it's a huge ceiling raiser. It's like this yeah. is this yeah. is how you extend the ceiling of the Suns beyond Chris Paul's limited two or three year shelf life yeah. that he has remaining. Because Chris Paul has been amazing this season, but what about after? You always have to think about the after. And if we we discussed in the past, if neither Mikael Bridges nor DeAndre Ayton could unlock a higher offensive ceiling, and you were going to pay both of them X amount of money to play next to Devin Booker. Well, in the post-Chris Paul era, there wasn't necessarily a lot of upside to see in that team. You could build a good team there with those three players. Could you build a contender just around Devin Booker and two really great role players who never quite figure yeah. it out offensively? No, you really can't. It's probably a 40- you get, You'd have to nail everything it's, else, it, like literally everything Yeah, it's else. probably a perpetual first or second round exit, to, if we're being entirely honest of what that team looks like. But if those guys start to figure it out, and maybe we have some evidence now that that Aiton is is you know it's early it's early days but that he's figuring yeah. it out. That's how you become a dynasty. That's you know that's how you don't have to stay up at night worrying yourself sick about you know Chris Paul's vegan diet and if he's going to miss five or ten games with a hamstring injury this year or whatever happens. I mean you might still have to worry about that if you're really <laughs> trying to win a championship this year. Once you, you got to worry, playoffs. you have to worry about injuries. That's just part of the game. Yeah, but 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 really, the long term health of this team, you have to take this stuff into account. Yeah. That's why it's so and important. I, and I want to give once again credit to the people setting the expectations for DeAndre Ayton because I think this is vital. It's clear that he understands what is expected of him when it comes to developing into the player that they want him to be. And him just trying those things is a step in the right direction. I have not yet been this excited about DeAndre and since maybe his rookie year. We've seen some of the things he's done since then. Offensively. Obviously, defensively is a different story. We've been around. You, you said our, this podcast is exactly as old as DeAndre Ayton's career in the NBA. Do you think that we have had similar trajectories in developments as DeAndre Ayton? I think... As far as our analysis goes. I arguably think I've regressed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If we're being totally honest, I may have already burned out a long time ago. I think my my peak content and my peak uh, as an analyst, as a Twitterer, podcaster, whatever... Uh. Might have been when I had 200 followers on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, uh, there's other Suns players to talk about, but we're going to take questions in the second half of this episode, so I'm sure we'll get to those players. But I want to ask you about something specifically. Uh, the Suns, Suns fans took some heat from uh, Nuggets fans in, uh, <laughs> after beating the Nuggets. You know... At this point, they've beat over 30% of the league on this win streak, basically. 
so over a third of the league they've beat on this win streak alone. Do you think that the Suns are villains in the NBA currently? I mean, obviously Nuggets fans uh, have a distaste for the Suns because they lost to the Suns. Yeah in the playoffs in such a dramatic way, but do you think that other teams look at the Suns as some sort of villains or do you think they're not there yet? I don't think we're even close. Like I think about a level of, of Warriors disdain that even I, I like the Warriors now, but when I was, however, I was a teenager, a late teenager when the, the Warriors dynasty first kind of started gelling and I hated that team so much because they dicked us down every time. And yeah, their fans were really obnoxious. And so I think now, understanding that history, I would encourage Suns fans, we need to be a lot more obnoxious. I think so far we're... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so serious, too. I think so far we're only villains to niche weirdos like that Nuggets <laughs> fan on Twitter. We need to be way worse. Yeah. Every every it. additional win... Here's what it is. Every additional win on the win streak right now, if you don't vilify yourselves online to that particular <laughs> fan base that's a wasted opportunity right i mean yeah it's funny because like you know nuggets fans they want us to care that they don't like us but like why would we care <laughs> why would we care at all about that i don't understand and, why that would matter and looks, it's good it's good yeah that's what makes sports fun not to dwell on like that one particular guy's train of thought for yeah, too long but but yeah. just like because it's something that he, not only he said but other people are saying as well like why is it a big deal that fans of a team that was dog shit for 10 years are now, are now so excited you know that that they have a 13 game winning streak or however like let, let people let people enjoy things who cares yeah i don't get yeah. it i don't get it but neither here's here what i there. think it is i think that the nuggets in particular are they have taken sort of the the road more traveled to being a contender, if you will, in that they're a team that they drafted players, they made trades, they found guys, they got better. They were spooky. They made they made the playoffs. They lost in the first round or whatever. They yeah. made the playoffs. They got a little further. They made they, the playoffs. They got a little further. You know, they they kept eating away at the playoffs to try and make it to the finals. They just haven't gotten there. They yet. would lose in the and, playoffs. The opposing team's fan base would go to their Reddit page and say, "Hey, you guys are going to be spooky next year." And yeah, then they exactly. they got a little bit spookier every year, but never You're quite a spookier. Spooky yeah. enough. No, never quite spooky enough. And then what they see in the Suns is a team that missed the playoffs 11 years in a row sweep them in the in the NBA playoffs and then make it to the NBA finals the first time that Devin Booker has ever made the playoffs and like I understand the level of resentment in particular from Nuggets fans because it's like they feel in a lot of ways that they took their hard knocks and the Suns, uh, the Suns fan base in particular didn't. The reality is 11 years without playoffs, it sucks. <laughs> it sucked. I have this weird, I have NBA League Pass now. And I have, after 11 years of missing the playoffs with the Suns, I, like a small part of me is addicted to watching bad basketball teams <laughs> Like I want to watch the OKC Thunder sometimes. They're like great. I want to yeah. watch the Detroit Pistons sometimes because there's something like I learned 
to appreciate and learned to like when <laughs> bad teams have one or two good players. After, like, I don't want to watch the Rockets, but <laughs> after that Pistons Lakers game the other night, by the way, who wouldn't want to throw the the Pistons on their league pass watch list? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It is. It's just you know. This all I'll say is the Suns fans took our hard knocks. He just took them in a different way, and I do understand to some extent why Nuggets fans would resent Suns fans because they feel like, well, we haven't suffered quite enough. And well, I'll just say this: we just haven't suffered in the same way. Playoff losses suck. You know what sucks worse? Finals losses. <laughs> it's definitely worse. Uh, so you know, I'll give us credit there. I agree with you. Just to wrap it up, I don't quite think that we're villains yet as far as the Suns team and I think that Suns fans I don't even think Suns fans have been bad as well I agree with you my um I think Suns fans have been fine <laughs> yeah they've been fine I mean I honestly I think in a lot of corners of the internet that people are still under the impression that we don't exist I honestly think that <laughs> no, be, because seriously do you remember what it was like on on I mean we were on reddit at the time but I'm sure it was like this on any platform at the time 2015 yeah. It felt like everyone was a Warriors fan. Yeah. How many more games in a row would the Suns have to win to, to feel something similar going on in Phoenix? I just don't think it's yeah. possible. I think we could win the next 30 in a row, and yeah. and we would still feel like this small little tight-knit group, which in some ways is great. Ride and die with our guys, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's just different. The one concession, by the way, I'll make to Nuggets fans— if you're a Nuggets fan and your mental health is in the gutter right now, you know, the Michael Porter Jr. news just came out. Don't know how long he's going to be out now. Like, I understand it's it's tough to be a Nuggets fan right now. Um, they're struggling with health, and that's a totally valid, you know, excuse for the most part that they have for their team coming out of the gate struggling a little bit themselves. Just don't take it out on us. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's all. I think I think the problem is they're a butt of so many Suns jokes. Yeah. Uh Suns fans jokes, so I understand why they're angry. Yeah, it's Michael Porter Jr. like they said his season is in jeopardy. You read that story, it kind of feels like his career is in jeopardy. So I actually do I genuinely hope that he's okay and comes out of this nerve injuries and stuff like that. You don't want to mess around with that. That can mess up your whole life. Um so hopefully he's okay. But yeah, it is an interesting thing because like this season, I think the, there was an obvious villain in that it would have been the Nets because they have two MVPs and Kyrie Irving, and and it, you know it would have been easy to villainize them. And then of course, one of the, one of their players is just refusing to play, and uh, so it's difficult to even count that as as the villainous team. So we are where we are an NBA with no villain except. Everyone seems to love when the Lakers lose. (laughs) So I guess we can all bond in enjoying that. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to take some questions uh, from you guys on Twitter after this Spurs game. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, welcome back. Thank you to everyone who asked us questions. I tweeted immediately after the game. We already had 36 questions. (laughs) Obviously, we're not going to get to that, so I apologize. I think, Sam, we did a uh, mailbag recently for our Patreon friends. I think we might have to do a mailbag for all these people that are asking questions here on Twitter. We haven't done an official one yet, uh, so maybe uh, sometime soon we could do another one. Uh, Let's start with this one. This is from Suns fan Brianna. At uh, Brie Denise 26. Thank you for the question, Brianna. She said, I'm sort of accepting the Shamit trade, which is a weird feeling with a question mark at the end of that one. I think it's a good time to sort of reassess how we feel about the Shamit trade. I, look, well, I think you and I have praised Landry Shamit a lot lately, but I just think he's he's just really starting to click within the offense in the last maybe like five or six games. And has shown quite a bit defensively. I've been pretty impressed with Landry Shamit. I think you're you're all aboard the Shamit train at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Give me some credit because for a long time people <laughs> branded me as some sort of hater, and I feel like I never <laughs> deserved that reputation. Just because. Okay, so here's the thing. At the time of the trade, I also like Brianna. I'm imagining here uh, called into question the the value of the trade it, you know it wasn't so much giving up javon carter who i like right i always liked as a son but just the first round pick and then giving him the nine million dollars a year for a guy you haven't even yeah. seen play yet that sort of stuff i was a little bit iffy on what shaman has shown us so far just as a player has been great his three-point shooting uh skill set is unique it's something that only he can provide to the suns his defense has been better than anticipated he hasn't been a liability at all from what i can tell uh, the playmaking, he's showing a little bit more of it uh, game after game. He's not a perfect player by any means. You know, I I still don't know if he's, like, really a mid-level exception player, but I don't think it's bad value there. And also we know that that contract is not fully guaranteed for all four right. years. So right. it's 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 totally working out so far. And I think Suns fans should be all aboard with Landry Shaman at this point. Like, you know, I I think with shooters in particular, guys who have the reputation for shooting and maybe not always doing so much else on offense— kind of get a a raw deal 
with their relationship with fans because if you're a streaky guy you we've seen in the past shaman is one of those guys he can be shooting 40 percent from deep and yet you go online and everyone's calling for his head some nights <laughs> but it's yeah. like if you're a 40 percent volume shooter you're doing exactly what you're being paid to do 100 sometimes it's yeah. just not going to be your night the other night against uh, denver wasn't his night that's fine balanced yeah. it out today with three of five shooting against the spurs yeah, it's, it's a similar thing to Cameron Johnson had his career night against the Nuggets, one for six tonight against the Spurs. That's the that's the advantage of having more than one good player coming off your bench, which we'll talk about in a second. But with Landry Shamit, there's just things that he can do as a shooter that nobody else on the Suns can do, and I would argue that nobody else has been capable of doing for a long time. And, you know, shout out to Langston Galloway, who did his best, but I think even... Landry Shamit on a fast break, sprinting to the corner, catching it from a full sprint and popping from the corner and shooting. I said it online. I just don't think anyone else can do that for the Suns. I know nobody else can do that for the Suns is what I should say. Maybe Ish Wainwright. I don't know. I haven't seen him play enough. Uh, But I know nobody who plays can do it for the Suns. It's not a Booker shot, right? It's not a Chris Paul shot. Chris Paul doesn't exactly have a fast three-point shot. It's really just Landry Shamit and adding... Some sort of dynamism like that to the offense matters so much because it's not just that. If you do that once in a game, now the defense is going to panic when he's coming around the screen in the Spain pick and roll. By the way, I mean, this is, I guess, a testament to the defense that the Suns have been playing against for the last few games. But the amount of times that Landry Shamit can come off a Spain pick and roll wide open is insane to me. It's just completely insane. How do you let Landry Shamit come off a Spain pick and roll wide open at the top of the key and that's not even the shot he's hitting a lot lately but he's capable of it it's really nice to see somebody like that but I want to ask you about something different defensively I have been personally surprised by what he's been capable of doing defensively so far this season is he like a great defender no has he been a negative defender for the Suns so far not really, I don't think. And maybe that's partially his role coming off the bench. He doesn't have to guard a bunch of starters who are going to attack him over and over and over. You know, maybe we'll see something different once the Suns start actually matching up against some of the better teams in the NBA. But so far, I have no complaints about Landry Shamit defensively. What have you thought so far? Yeah, look, as time goes on and the Suns start playing some of the truly elite contending type teams... You know, are there going to be situations if you're playing the Nets maybe next week, you know, and Landry Shaman is on the floor? Are the Nets going to try and get the Suns to switch? Because we know the Suns like to switch everything on the perimeter. Are the Nets going to try and get favorable matchups of Kevin Durant on Landry Shaman? And is that going to work out for Shaman? Maybe not. You know, he's not that level of defender. But right. against 90% of the teams in the league, he seems to be doing just fine. You know, sometimes he screws up and then he gets right back on defense and makes hustle plays. We've seen him block a couple of guys. Uh, this year in like really surprising situations honestly his vertical is better than I expected just in general yeah so so yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say he's been an issue uh, on that yeah end. his le- his leaping is like Devin Booker-esque in that he doesn't do it very much but when he does it's like oh okay he can get a chase down blocker oh okay he right. dunked that I didn't expect him to dunk that uh, let's see. You got a question, right? Yes. I want to continue on with the bench uh, theme here. This is from Alex Fuentes, who asked, well, it's not really a question, but he just said, uh, would like for us to talk about bench synergy with specifically Abdul Nader out slash injured. Yeah. And I know this right. is something that you were talking about at the beginning of this game, how it's affected yes. the rotations. Do you want to talk about that? 
Well, I'll, I'll first say that I forgot he was out. <laughs> I just thought he was out of the rotation, which I was giving Monty credit for. But basically, the last two games, we've seen essentially a nine-man rotation for the Suns instead of the typical 10-man rotation, which we saw before that. And that's resulted in a couple of things. But one of the things I've liked about it is that we've seen bench with Mikel Bridges, which, by the way, is something that you and I asked for in our Mikel Bridges internal development episode that we did before the season. The idea being... Mikael Bridges essentially can be that sort of linchpin offensively. You can run plays for him, and if the defense reacts to Mikael Bridges, you can see the rest of the offense flow around that. That hasn't quite been the case so far. He's more of a defensive linchpin. What we've seen instead of that is the offense sort of revolving around a combination of Cameron Payne and Landry Shamit mostly. Um, but I have personally really enjoyed this nine-man rotation I understand it's an 82-game season. Monty Williams doesn't want to play a nine-man rotation for the entire season. He doesn't want to overplay certain guys as far as minutes goes. I would not be mad even knowing that if they still kept it as a nine-man rotation after Abdul Nader comes back from this injury. It just looks good to me. What have you thought? I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Now, does it give me pause about thinking again about this team and, and where it really stands at the trade deadline with its right, depth right. chart and a depth chart of just Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, the wing positions? Yeah, I, I, I do have to think about that. But yeah. if you're just trying to get the best out of the Suns on a game-to-game basis, yeah, you gave Nader a 15-game sample, right? And mm-hmm. it has, hasn't hasn't really worked out. So uh, yeah. I think this this is working. Stick with what works. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and for, people are asking about the trade deadline already, and that's a fair thing to ask about, you know, with Kaminsky out, Nader out, who knows how long each of them is going to be out. I'm not prepared to talk about that. I will talk about it in the future. One thing I'll remind people of, the Suns don't have their pick in this coming off season. It's included as part of the Chris Paul trade. It's going to the OKC Thunder, as long as the Suns make the playoffs, which they will. So... If you're thinking about trades, that does make it more difficult. They can't necessarily trade two picks in a row. There's different wording. They can put on a pick if they want to trade it. But as far as assets goes, it's going to take some research, I'll say that, to figure out some options at the trade deadline. By the way, everyone asks about the trade deadline, and then everyone hates when we talk about it <laughs> because <laughs> because nobody likes hearing about That's very uh, true. fake trades, even though we find it fun and it's mostly not serious. I'm well, going to actually... Go ahead. No, especially this year, like if we've if we're kind of unanimously deciding that Jalen Smith has no trade value, yeah. Then any trades we come up with this year, you have to start making difficult decisions. You know, the types of guys yeah. on the Suns who are available for five to ten million dollars, they're all kind of valuable in the you know they're guys like Campaign, uh, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. Yeah. Uh, Darius Sharch is injured, so he also has no value. But like you know, it's it would be difficult to really yeah. maneuver in a way. The only the the thing I think Suns fans would like is just Jalen Smith and picks. But I don't know if anyone when, would take that. When the Suns did not um, pick up Jalen Smith's option, I tweeted essentially saying what I'm guessing happened is the Suns tried to trade Jalen Smith. They couldn't find a trade for him, so they decided that the open roster spot and the ability to cut him this year if they need to was more valuable than picking up his option for next year since they couldn't trade him. And then I heard from somebody who uh, is a reporter. I'm not. 
And they messaged me and said, yes, the Suns were trying to trade Jalen Smith and could not find a suitor. So, uh, you know, take that what you will. I, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I do trust this person much more than most. Um, I'm going to change it up on you. We were going to read a different question, but I'm going to read uh, something else. This is from Calvino. Uh, he said, have the Suns had a true test during this win streak? The season, mm. uh, this season, the most notable wins are against the Lakers, Hawks, and maybe the Trailblazers. Other than that, the schedule's been pretty weak to start. And I agree with him. Yeah, he's right. Bring up the schedule now. Uh, I think that I think you can you can count. I know the Cavs are the Cavs, but the Cavs at the time when the Suns beat them were playing really really well, and uh, and you know winning against them mattered too. But it's not exactly something to hang your hat on. Uh, it's just they were playing very well at the time. But if we're gonna go, I'm gonna go through them right now. This is the entire 13 game win streak. Cleveland, a good team. New Orleans, terrible. Houston, terrible. Atlanta, good. Sacramento, sort of in the middle. They they're not terrible, uh, but they're not they're not good either. I, you know, they did just fire their coach after losing like six in a row. So, yeah. Um, Portland, much better lately, and that's a good win. Narrowly, I would say. narrowly good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Memphis, uh, up and down, sort of in the middle. Not terrible. Not good. Houston, terrible. Minnesota. Actually, Minnesota's been playing better than I expected lately, but still not a good team. Dallas, twice in a row without Luka Doncic, not a test. Denver, without their three best players, not a test. San Antonio, after a <laughs> San Antonio after a players-only meeting, might have been one of the bigger tests so far because they were desperate to win this game and they still could not. Um, so I actually very much agree that they have not yet really been tested. Cleveland... Portland in the win streak alone, Los Angeles before that. Uh, outside of that, they're beating teams that they're supposed to. You know, teams lose to teams that they're supposed to beat all the time. That happens all the time. So beating teams that you're supposed to, really only two teams are doing that regularly this season, and that's the Warriors and the Suns. A 13-game win streak, insanely impressive still. Sure. I cannot wait. For the next three games, I think are actually a pretty big test. Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn, New York and Brooklyn back to back. But what do you think? I would agree with that. It's the tests are coming up. They're, the Cleveland is pretty good. Uh, the Knicks are pretty good. They've been up and down. If the Suns are still riding it into that Brooklyn game, that is going to be fun. Um, and then beyond that, obviously you've got the Golden State games. But yeah, that's yeah. the sort of stuff we're talking about. I mean, look if if you're if you go to any social media comment section right now and look at what they're saying about the Suns 13 game win streak they're going to bring up kind yeah. of these obvious complaints you know don't pay too much attention to it it's if it was so easy to rattle off 13 in a row then their dog shit franchise that they support would have done it by now so you know but there's a reason that they haven't so that's that's all I would say about that however it's also factually true the Suns have not played the best teams in the NBA by any stretch mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. during this stretch so we'll see yeah it's teams. The NBA is not this like incredibly predictable le uh, league where you can just predict who's going to win every game just based on this team is better than that team. Therefore, they will win. If that was the case, first of all, it'd be really boring. Second of all, everyone would win all of their bets. <laughs> you know, it, you know, the casinos would run out of money uh, because it's just not that. It's a very unpredictable league, and thirteen in a row is just it's pretty crazy. I'm looking forward to them being tested. If they win Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn, then there'll be 16 games in a row against Golden State. I believe to tie the longest win streak in Suns history at 17 could be against Golden State on TNT Tuesday, November 30th. One of the big could be one of the biggest games, regular season games 
in Suns history. And they play the Warriors again on December 3rd and then again on Christmas, which, by the way, the NBA nailed that Christmas Day game. <laughs> yeah. Suns versus Warriors. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. What? Uh, prob- do you know what Probably time- the most interesting game that day. Is that the last time slot? That's probably. The yeah, it's like 830 Eastern, I think. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, it's a later game. I got to think about those things now, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, my next question. So yeah. this, I'm kind of pooling this, actually. I'm calling an audible here and pooling this from, because a few different people talked about something related to this. And I figured we should cover it because it's also news. Frank Kaminsky is out now with a, a, yeah. a knee. What is it? A stress reaction in his knee. Yeah. Which, who knows what that is. Well, right. And so as a result, I have people asking here about bigs um, in the kind of trade slash buyout slash free agency market. But there are also people asking about uh, Jay Crowder's viability as a small ball five. I have people asking about how do we get Tory Craig back? I think that's a very natural reaction as well. But all generally having to do with this idea of if Frank Kaminsky is out long term, what is the what is the value loss in that? And I think it's pretty substantial. But but what what are your thoughts? Um, that is massive for depth reasons. Jalen Smith is unplayable on a good team right now. I I'm sorry for those who like Jalen Smith. For those who like Jalen Smith, I ask you why. I, I what have you seen? I, I guess I haven't seen the same thing. He's just unplayable right now. So if you get if something happens to JaVale, if God forbid, or something happens to DeAndre Ayton and they miss extended time, you just don't have a guy to be that backup at this point. You need a third stringer. You know, James Jones said it before the season, three by five, you know, all five positions, three guys deep. They don't have that currently. They did with Frank, and they need to to fix that. Uh, you know, Dario Sharks could come back this year. That's a possibility. If if Frank's out for the whole year, you know, you could have Dario back sometime next year. Um, you know, I wouldn't count on that. And who knows if he's going to be good coming off an injury. You know, that is something that could happen. But in the meantime, I think you need to do something. Jalen Smith not being uh, signed next year means that they could technically cut him right now and open up a roster spot and try and sign somebody uh, off the scrap heap. I've looked at that. I'm not sure if you have, Sam. There's no good names. I haven't. As far as I haven't unsigned. Yeah. Yeah. There's no really. There's no big names that sign that you know stick out as far as unsigned free agents. You know, I looked at Aaron Baines and then I remembered he had a neck injury that keeps keeps him out for the full year because that would be perfect, really, if you could just bring Baines back. But he's out for the full year. And then there's a bunch of guys that are probably retiring. I think Tolliver's not on the team currently. Anthony Tolliver. Um, he's kind of old that doesn't and hasn't me. done much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just one of those names. Like that's where you get to when you start looking at uh, you know this sort of end of the uh, end of the bench free agent at this point of the season. So you know you you look at the Suns making a good trade at this point, and and that could happen. I'm not prepared to throw some names out there, but they're gonna have to do something just soon. To, just probably. to be clear, so you're not high on like Jay Crowder's ability to slide up to the five or something. I, I, I'm not. I would personally. prefer that to Jalen Smith playing uh, minutes, especially against good teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do it like you could do it against the Warriors to match up with their Draymond lineup. Sure, whatever. You could try Chandler Hutchinson at center. You know, he's not really a center. You could try Ish Wainwright at center. <laughs> he's got the shoulders so How that's that's another hint, uh six seven maybe six six that's another yeah. thing that happened this week yeah he played he played ish we were asking for it a few days ago and then he actually played he got a bucket too yeah six five by the way six five <laughs> that'd be a fascinating center 
<laughs> to see him play uh, at center would be really interesting. Is, is I think Thon Maker is like playing for like a, a European team. You can get somebody like that. It's, just, it's not that exciting. Yes, yeah, some of those guys uh, you could get for a buyout. Okay, now you're going to make me search up a list. It's just not exciting. You're not going to get super excited by I'm this list. I'm just going to throw a bunch guys. of bullshit names out at you now, but keep yeah. talking in the meantime. Yeah, maybe they can find somebody in the G League, a center that's playing really well. You just, you know, Chris Paul makes guys look better than they are as far as at the center position. You know, it's not a coincidence that JaVale McGee's having essentially his best offensive season that he's had uh, in a long time. You know, playing with Chris Paul is not a coincidence. So if you can find a guy that's just capable of catching lobs and playing drop defense in the G League, maybe you can get him on the roster. I'm not sure if that's going to be better than Jalen Smith, but. It probably, it probably will be as far as just a very limited role center that could do those two things. Uh, but yeah, you see anything you like there? This is not a totally updated list, I think. I saw Ed yeah, Davis, just... which I got excited for a second, but then it turns out he signed with Cleveland, which I didn't even know. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that either. Is Biombo playing for anyone right now? These are not good names. These are not good <laughs> yeah, names. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not, of course it's not exciting, right? They're not in the NBA currently. Bismack Biombo <laughs> started 36 games for the Hornets last year and is a free you think agent. Like a, a few years ago, there were like good names. Like Taj Gibson was an unsigned free agent at one time. Kind of insane now to think about. I think he's making $10 million this year. Uh, you know, guys can play their way back into the NBA. There's no guys really like that at the center position that you think, wow, you know, maybe he could have a resurgence. You know, I, I don't see anyone like that. Well, there's one guy I'm looking at here whose name you might know as uh, DeMarcus Cousins, but I think Yeah, I saw that too. DeMarcus Cousins, Marcus Gasol. He's had you know, his fair retired. share of uh, resurgence attempts at this point, and I don't think it's happening. Yeah. I don't think his body is going to allow that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think the locker room could wants that. <laughs> DeMarcus Cousins and Chris Paul hate each other. That's a great, that's <laughs> a great point that I forgot about, actually. <laughs> kind of comically so. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll let that one go. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see anything there. All right. Uh any anything else to help up that those all those questions there? Um I no, I think I think that's about it for this time. I, we'll find I, some fake trades at some point. I've yeah, I feel bad. For for all of you people with fake trades, don't worry, we'll have plenty of those episodes yeah. in the future. All right. This is from Richard W. Griswold. I wonder if that's his real name. That's a Griswold is the uh name from Christmas Vacation. But anyway. Uh, the Suns are a juggernaut, winners of now 13 straight games. What kind of a PR nightmare would it be for the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, to present the Larry O'Brien championship trophy to Robert Sarver? If Sarver survives, who gets Nancy Kerrigan to ensure it doesn't happen? <laughs> uh, he's essentially bringing up the point that, and I wanted to bring this up, by the way, because we haven't yet talked about the... Uh, Robert Sarver investigation in a while. No news to report on the Robert Sarver investigation at this point. But I would say this, if the Suns are in contention to be uh, a title favorite or something like that, like if it's close to the end of the year and maybe the Warriors drop off, the Suns are clearly one of the best teams in the NBA, which they are right now, but even more of a favorite. I'd say the NBA will do everything in their power to try and finish that investigation before the playoffs start and I would I, I would doubt that it takes longer than once it, once we're into the playoffs here, but I really have no way to read uh, this situation, figure out how fast it could go. 
I just that would be a nightmare. I agree with that. That yeah. would be a nightmare. Well, it ju- yeah, it just depends on the outcome of the investigation. If the investigation concludes and they find Sarver is not at fault and he remains owner of the Suns and whatever, then yeah, I guess it's not a PR nightmare in that case. I mean, it might be a PR yeah, it nightmare. It still kind of is. It's right? a nightmare for us. It would not be a nightmare for the NBA because they would have made their decision. So if they make yeah. the other decision that, you know, he is culpable, then hopefully they get him out of there before, or or the, I, I imagine the Suns would work very hard and very fast to get him out of there before the playoffs, before yeah. a finals yeah. run for sure. Who knows? I think so too. I think so Who too. I think it, knows? it probably, a lot of it will probably depend on what they're hearing right now in the investigation. The last thing that we saw was that the employees that work for the Suns right now and probably previous employees as well have been granted confidentiality. They have the ability to report what happened at their workplace without it being known who it was and what they said. The NBA really is the only people that need to know that. Um, but yeah, so we'll see what comes out of that. Do you have any other questions that you'd like to answer before we go? Uh, no, to the 40,000 of you who we didn't answer this time, I'm sorry. We'll do a mailbag episode for, for everyone pretty soon. Yeah, well, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate the questions. We'll be back with a Patreon episode relatively soon. New stuff coming soon with the Patreon. If you haven't signed up, check it out. Patreon.com slash the timeline. December's going to be a big month. It's going to be an exciting month. In the next few weeks, we have some announcements coming. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be talking about that soon. But we appreciate you guys and we will be back soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.